0: From the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team, this is Nebraska Farmcast. I'm Ryan Evans, joined today by John Westra, professor and program leader in the Department of Agricultural Economics here at UNL to discuss ecosystem goods and environmental markets. Hi, John. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time with me. Yeah. Uh, so, interesting topic. You've got a new article on this on our farm and ranch management website, farm.unl.edu. We've been hearing a lot about carbon markets lately, especially in ag. uh, But carbon sequestration is only one of a larger set of products that can be generated in agriculture that you write about. And uh, so you've written about these ecosystem goods and services and the benefits that they can provide to both humans and the planet overall. So can you just explain what. You mean by ecosystem goods and services sure. and maybe some examples?
1: Sure, sure. Great question. And and as you said in the introduction there, carbon markets or carbon and carbon sequestration uh, topics that have been in the news, in the agricultural sector in particular, over the last few months are just one of a subset of, of ecosystem goods and services. So there's a lot of definitions for what they are, but in general, they're um, things that have value to both humans and to the planet, the environment. And so there's, they're uh, broken up into kind of four categories. There's uh, provisioning like food, for example, or fresh water, regulating like water quality or water purification processes that happen in, the, in streams and wetlands and so forth. There's also cultural, uh, which is like recreational or aesthetic, so going out and boating or canoeing, kayaking, those kind of things. And then there's uh, supporting, which are kind of like soil formation, so just building the soil, which is... Obviously, something an agricultural producer is very interested in, as as well as people who may or may not know about how that directly benefits them. So, yeah.
0: Great. And when you talk about potential markets for all of these, how are ecosystem services measured and valued? That seems like a tough task.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. And it is a difficult task because a lot of them, as you might expect, well, how do we value – boating or swimming or fishing you know uh, some of these things we may be able to have a better sense on how to to value or evaluate Um, and and oftentimes those are things where there might be a market for them so for example this market that is developing currently for carbon is an example of that but other things you know so how do we value or how do we measure water purification, for example? So one way we might do that is to look at, okay, what, what's required to make water drinkable or swimmable? So we, in the United States and in most uh, countries, there are standards that they set uh, for uh, water to be qualified or meet that criteria, Uh, For drinkable, you know, obviously it doesn't, you don't want any kind of uh, contaminants in there or, or at a level that's designated at a low enough level that isn't going to be harmful to individuals. So one way to, to measure that would be to actually go out and sample the water and see does it meet that or not. And then a way to value the um, achievement of that is to just look at what are all the costs associated with cleaning up that water. Some of them may be easy or relatively inexpensive uh, processes to clean up, uh, and others may be more complicated. So, you know, some of the industrial chemicals, it may be a lot more complicated to clean those up and uh, associated with an increased cost. So one way that we look at it is what's the cost of, of cleaning up. Another is just doing a an assessment, asking people, how much do you value these wetlands for uh, providing a buffer against hurricanes on the coast? So that's some work that I was involved with earlier uh, before I came here to Nebraska. So there's various ways to assess it, but none of them are really straightforward.
0: So you've mentioned... Water, as an example, water Mm -hmm. uh, quality markets, as an example of um, an ecosystem service. And using that as an example, because you've written a lot about that, can you walk us through how that market uh, might be developing? Or I know that there's been some efforts in the past to start this water quality market up. So to talk about that as an example of of what we're discussing here, please.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, you look at agriculture and you look at uh, other potential uh, ways of uh, addressing water quality. So we've got, um, you know, we've got ways that producers uh, try to conserve soil both for, from a uh, saving soil to help build soil and build yields on their farm. But there's also by using uh, practices or, or processes or um, uh, particular practices that serve or conserve, excuse me, conserve soil, those also have benefits offsite that benefit, um, you know, water quality, for example. So if you have less water, less sediment getting into the water, the, the water quality is, is improved. And so, um, but also there are um, industrial or municipalities are interested in addressing water quality. So there's, to have a market working properly, you've got to have both buyers and sellers. And so when you're looking at improving water quality, who might the buyers be and who might the sellers be? Well, the people that are trying to buy water quality, so to speak, or improvements in water quality might be those industries or municipalities that have um, a regulatory responsibility to achieve a specific level of nutrient reduction, for example, uh, like wastewater treatment plants, for example, um, or uh, industries that create nutrients in the processes of whatever they're manufacturing. So there's some industries that do that, and there's some municipalities that are trying to deal with reducing um, nutrients or improving the water quality in the streams downstream from that location. So one of the ways that water quality markets might work is if we have people that are trying to reduce that at a lower cost, and agriculture in most cases is looked at as a way to achieve environmental benefits or ecosystem service benefits uh, at a lower cost because they can usually do it in a, in a cheaper way, you know, by altering a practice, putting in a particular practice, uh, like a riparian buffer street, uh, uh, strip, for example, along a stream, or widening it can uh, capture sediments and nutrients that might otherwise flow into the stream or river. So they can do that with minimal cost to themselves, other than foregone yield and the revenue associated with that. so, And in off, often cases, they're doing this in areas along river banks and streams where yields aren't necessarily as high for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they are, but in many cases they aren't. So by taking out an extra 10 or 20 feet of land from production, what are they giving up in terms of yield and revenue and so if they can do that uh, for, you know, a certain amount of dollars per pound of nutrient saved, that might be cheaper than a municipality trying to put in a next level of treatment to get the same level of reduction in, in nitrogen or phosphorus leaving their facility. So usually these markets work only when there's a regulatory component to it that targets the point sources like a municipality or an industry and the non-point sources like ag or some other areas can contribute by selling those credits just like the carbon credits and the examples that have been talked about in the past here they're selling water quality credits and that's kind of how those things work
0: so how close is that to coming to fruition what's the history of yeah uh, we're talking about here water quality markets in particular
1: yeah great question so um you know as you alluded to at the very beginning uh in in some instances there have been efforts that were made and they kind of uh you know maybe 20 30 years ago mid 90s or so there were some efforts looking at water quality trading to try and address nutrient issues in some um river systems like in ohio uh the chesapeake bay area is another example where they've made some efforts there uh out in uh, oregon there was another effort that been some issue some efforts in wisconsin and michigan and pennsylvania as well but the the issue with all of them is they just um there weren't enough buyers and sellers in the market and usually it's there weren't enough sellers. And that's, in this case, it's mainly been agriculture. And there's a whole variety of reasons why these haven't necessarily worked for any extended period of time. You know, it has to do with uh, a lot of the, the contracts and the legal issues associated with that. Um, you know, how do you know that you're actually buying one pound of nitrogen reduction and for how long of a period is that? So just defining what the product is that you're selling. And this isn't unique to ecosystem services. Historically, this has happened in a whole bunch of other areas of markets as it developed. And that's why we have regulations about what is exactly uh, grade A milk uh, or you know large eggs, extra large eggs. And, and these kind of things, because in the past things have been sold that weren't necessarily met that definition. And so When you have something really specifically defined and can then be uh, legally enforced, usually through some regulatory agency like USDA, um, then that's when these markets work uh, well. So a lot of things need to be in place for them to work. But at the end of the day, there's a potential for growers to get income if they can participate in these kind of programs where they're going to achieve uh, more income from providing this ecosystem service than they would uh, uh, be uh, given the cost of implementing that, you know, whatever practice they need to do to provide that ecosystem service. So it's a potential benefit. There's been a lot of research in economics that's looked at these and it's estimated in the billions of dollars in each one of these ecosystem service areas, whether it's water quality, whether it's um, uh, 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 benefits from, um, you know, providing um, buffering areas for wetlands, for hurricane damage, all of these kind of things. There's a lot of benefit that can be accrued to society. It's just a matter of whether we can uh, create the market to so function properly and, you um, and, uh, and then make sure that when you're actually buying it or selling it, that you actually get what you buy or sell at the end of the day.-
0: So speaking of markets for water quality, you've mentioned that Nebraska has been involved in, uh, in this. So talk about the, the program that's been relevant here in the state.
1: Sure. Well, there was there have been some efforts through uh, you know programs like the Doherty Water for Food. Um, center and, um, and others within the Institute for Ag and Natural Resources that have looked at and helped sponsor or help host uh, conferences and workshops trying to grapple with this really difficult issue of how do we set up, how do we um, um, support water quality markets and ecosystem service markets Uh, including an effort in 2015 that the university was involved with uh, with U.S. uh, Environmental Protection Agency and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, as well as some universities and state agencies to look at what needs to happen for water quality markets and uh, water quality trading to happen. So Nebraska has been involved in this effort for quite a while now. And that's why I see a lot of potential for it here in the future.
0: What's your perspective on the potential for these environmental markets in the state of Nebraska?
1: So that it's another great question. So, you know, we talked about carbon markets. So that's an area that seems to be gaining a lot of traction in the state. So that's one part of ecosystem service markets. So other things with respect to like water quality or water quantity potentially could could come to pass as well. Uh, Again, you've got to have some kind of legal structure to help enforce those rules and the rights, making sure that people are uh, buying what they're supposed to be uh, buying and getting what they buy and selling the same. So when those kind of systems are in place and there's some papers that I cite in this article that talk about what things need to be in place for that to happen. Um, The other thing that needs to be in place is oftentimes you've got to have some uh, point sources like municipalities or industry that are willing to participate because they can see it's going to be, they're going to be able to achieve certain regulatory requirements at a lower cost. And so in some industries or some areas in Nebraska, there's more of that than others. So there's potential benefit in areas probably closer to larger municipalities where there's more industry. But there's also uh, potential industries in other parts of the state as well that usually are located along water bodies. So there's potential there. How it comes to pass is is um, a lot of questions yet to be answered. So, But it it might work.
0: Well, John Westra, professor and program leader here in the Department of Agricultural Economics at UNL, you've answered a lot of my questions. Great, and we appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Great to talk to you. Absolutely. And to read the new article by Dr. Westra, visit our farm and ranch management website, farm.unl.edu. This has been Nebraska Farmcast, a production of the Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. For decision-making tools, articles, podcasts, videos, and more, visit us online at farm.unl.edu.